Maybe an interesting thing to, to start with this morning is the question, what is your attitude towards sin? Think about that for a second. What is your attitude towards sin? Do you try to excuse it? Do you try to make light of it? Do you try to explain it away? What is your attitude towards sin? I remember uh, in my very first year as a pastor, uh, I met a couple and they were planning to be married. I got to know them somewhat and they wanted me to perform their wedding ceremony. So uh, they made an appointment with me to come see me at the church. Uh, when they came in, we talked a little bit. I talked about uh, what marriage was. I told them that it is God's institution. It's not created by man, that it is God's plan, that it is God's design. Uh, I showed them all the corresponding verses that go with that. Uh, I talked about each of their roles uh, in the marriage according to the Bible. This is what the Bible says you're going to do as the husband. Uh, this is what the Bible says you're, you're uh, going to do as the wife. And this is how you're going to keep Christ central to your home. And so I talked all about that, uh, showing them the Bible verses. Well, in the course of our discussion, they told me that they were already living together. In fact, they told me they had been living together for some time. Uh, to that, I told them that is a sin, uh, not according to me, but according to what the Bible says. I showed them that, told them it's not God's plan. And then I told them this, you want God to bless your marriage. That's why you're here. That's why you're wanting to do this in a church. Uh, you want God to bless your marriage. And so a great thing to do would be to honor him before your marriage. And so what I told them was the next few months before you get married, uh, in honor of God, one of you move out of the house where you're staying. And maybe you go to your parents' house, to your mother's house. Maybe you go uh, to a friend's house. But I told them in that, that, that God would be honored in that one move and that they would be blessed in that. That would be a great way to start their marriage. Well, uh, I'll never forget what happened next. Uh, they sat there for a second. They were quiet for just a second. And then the husband kind of half smiled and he looked at me and he said, well, that's okay. Uh, we might just go on and do a little more sinning. That's what he said. I wonder how many of us uh, might not be as bold as that guy or maybe not as, as dumb to say it out loud, but I wonder how many of us that is our attitude towards sin. We say, God, you know what? I know what you've said in your word. God, I know what you're saying, but you know what? I've got a little more sinning to do. I've got a little more sin to carry out. Jesus, I hear that that's why you died on the cross. I read that that's why you were put on the cross of Calvary. But Jesus, I've got a little more sinning to do. And I wonder how many of us that is our attitude towards sin. Friend, I want to tell you today, sin is the rejection of God. Sin is the denial of God. And he hates it, and he is serious about it. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, we're moving right along. Today we come to the 16th chapter. Today our message is entitled, God's Great Hatred of Sin. God's Great Hatred of Sin. Today we're going to go all the way through the 16th chapter, Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 
through 21. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word, God's great hatred of sin. Starting in verse 1, God's Word says, And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and they became and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I hear, heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out the bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed God, the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up. So the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to a place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, because its plague was extremely severe. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we rejoice that we have a risen Savior today. We rejoice that we have a hope in Christ, the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful for this testimony of baptism, Lord, I pray for this young lady that she would grow in the nurture and the truth of our Lord. And Lord, I pray that she would stand as a, as a witness testifying to the grace of our Savior Jesus. 
Lord, I pray for us that have assembled today, those that are listening in some other way, some other means, I pray that you would bless us today, that you would teach us today, that you would grow us today, that Lord, if you have to, that you would convict us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here with a renewed love for our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's somebody listening today that does not know you, that's not trusted you as their Savior, I pray in the hearing of our gospel, the gospel of Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. We ask that you would move supernaturally in this hour, in this service. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sixteen chapters in this morning to help us get uh, somewhat situated in the context. It's getting more complicated uh, each and every week. Uh, but to help us to get situated in the context, uh, I want us to see very briefly or to, to uh, understand, remember what is happening. So far as we've moved across the book of Revelation, uh, after the third chapter, the church uh, is raptured out of God's judgment of sin. Uh, after that, we have told to us of the unsealing of seven seals. Remember that account? Jesus is the only one that is found worthy to open those seals. And so he unseals them and they are revealed to us. Uh, at the end of that, we find there are seven trumpets. Now, those seven trumpets are also revealing God's judgment to us. Then at the blast of the seventh trumpet, we find seven bowls, again, of God's judgment. Then these 21, these three sets of seven, they make up the perfect judgment of God, the complete judgment of God on sin. And so understand that is being told to us. That has been plainly reported to us, the judgment of God on sin. Now, as we begin, I want to be sure and say this. Also remember, uh, these events that we have looked at take place during the seven years of tribulation that occur after the rapture of the church. And so I want you to be very assured today, uh, you need have no fear when you hear these. As believers, we will not endure uh, these judgments of God. We will not be here. We'll have been raptured out before these events take place. Well, that catches us somewhat up, and that's where we pick up in our study today. We're going to work piece by piece uh, through our verses today, starting in verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. John reports here, then, that means the next thing uh, that happens, then he heard a loud voice from the temple. Uh, the word here uh, for loud, it again, we saw it last week, it again is the Greek word mega. Uh, it means or translates large, mighty, or great. And so it is a great voice. It is a loud voice booming voice. Uh, that word mega is a word that we're going to find uh, more in this chapter than any chapter in the New Testament. It's going to be found 11 times here in the 16th chapter. Uh, now the speaker that John hears, 
uh, is God himself. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you remember from chapter 15, the eighth verse, only God himself is in the temple at this point. Everybody else is not allowed there. They're not able to even approach the temple. And so God himself is alone in the temple. And so when the voice comes out of the temple, it is the voice of God. This is God speaking. He says to the seven angels with the seven bowls of his wrath, go and pour out. Now that word literally translates, tip your bowls over. And so he says, go, take your bowls. I remember last week, fill to the brim with the wrath of God and tip them over, over on the earth. Now at this point, I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. Be sure of it. Now, these events are ordained by God. That's what we see here in the context. These events are directed by God. And so therefore, they are commissioned by God. God oversees this judgment. It is his judgment. Uh, he is directing how it's going to happen. And so it is God himself here speaking from the temple, commissioning uh, this judgment. Uh, that, that's a pretty wild thought to me as I think about uh, the history of time. Uh, God has stored up uh, his judgment of sin. He has held in great grace his judgment of sin until this exact point. And this is the exact point that the scales tip and the bowls are emptied out and the judgment of God is made known. Also note or see here, the next events are going to occur in rapid succession. I think sometimes maybe we read through this and we think, well, there'll be this event and there'll be a little bit of time to recover from that event and then there'll be another event. When the bowls are starting to be emptied out, it is in rapid succession. So one bowl is dumped out, and then another bowl is dumped out, and the next event takes place. All right, the second verse. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Uh, it's kind of strange in the second verse in really kind of a matter-of-fact way. John reports, and so this first angel goes and he pours out his bowl. God commands it from, from the temple, and so the first angel goes and he tips over and he pours out this first bowl. When he does, the Bible tells us, those who had taken the mark of the beast, and those who had worshipped the beast, they are inflicted, the Bible says, with a loathsome and malignant sore. Now, if you go back to the original language, if you go back uh, to the Greek, we can kind of understand uh, what it is talking about. From the original language, it is talking about unhealing, uh, unable to be healed, inflamed, oozing ulcers are on their body. And that's what's on them. These are great sores. They're inflamed. They're unable to be healed, and they are oozing. These sores inflict great and unbearable agony on those who receive them, really unimaginable agony on those who receive them. Now, I want to be fair here, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, to be fair, there are some who say these ailments are only symbolic. And they study the book of Revelation and they come to this place and they say, well, 
These are only representative. They are, they are only symbolic in nature. And there's whole books written about this. And they say these, these represent uh, the ailments or the consequences that come with sin. And so it's not actual boils, sores on these people. These are the things, the consequences uh, that come with sin. Or they say these are the terrible situations that people endure uh, because of sin. They have gone into sin and these are the things uh, that follow them because of that. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you this morning, I do not believe so. I believe they are actual. I believe they are literal. Uh, I believe just like the judgments of God that plagued uh, Egypt were also literal and actual, I believe these are literal and actual as well. All right, the third verse. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. This angel pours out God's anger, God's wrath on the sea. And the Bible says at that point, and then the seas became like blood, like the blood of a dead man. Now think about that, stagnant, foul, and decaying. As a result of that, every living thing, now understand, picture that, every living thing in the sea died. Now that's a, that's a horrible picture. All of the fish, all of the whales, all of the seals, uh, from the very smallest shrimp to the largest sea creature, they all perish, and the sea becomes really a soup of death. Verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. Now this angel appears, and he pours out his bowl on the fresh water, the rivers, the streams. It even says the springs of water, the wells that would produce water. And it says here, they also became blood. Now, I want you to start to think about that. Uh, the greatest impact of that would now be the contamination of all drinking water. Uh, when that happens, every source of fresh water uh, now contains blood. And so understand, there is nowhere to find drinking water. There's nowhere to find water to drink. Now, I want you to imagine the panic of that. Imagine the urgency of that, uh, trying to find something to drink. And you think, well, there's a spring behind my house, or there's a well down the street, or, you know, my grandmother had this well, we'll see what's in that. And you go, and you go, and you search, and you look, and you can't find anything to drink. Can you imagine the panic that comes with that, the urgency that comes with that? They look, and it's all blood. Verse 5. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. As the first three bowls are poured out, another angel, the Bible tells us evidently, who oversees all of the waters, this angel declares, Righteous are you, correct, good, and just are you. Then he goes on and says, who are and who were. We saw this last week. Again, this is referring to our eternal God. He is before all. He is after all. He is above all. And therefore, he is over all. And so all of that is tied into the understanding that he is eternally God. He is eternal God. And then it says, oh, 
holy one. It literally means sacred one. Uh, think for just a second to profane. Sometimes you hear someone talk about profaning the name of God. To profane means to make as normal. That's what it translates. To bring down and to make as normal. And so those who had profaned God, those who had tried to profane the name of God, they are now experiencing his judgment. And he is the sacred one, the holy one. And then notice it says, righteous are you because of your justice. Righteous are you because of your judgment poured out. Now that's kind of an interesting thought. Righteous, correct, just are you because of your judgment being poured out. Because of doing these things, God is righteous, and he is just, and he is holy. There's further clarification in the sixth verse. Verse 5 again, And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Uh, in the sixth verse, we find out that the punishment fits the crime. That's what the angel says there. The punishment fits the crime. It is indeed true what God has said. As you sow, so shall you reap. Well, these people, they had killed the saints. They had killed the believers. They had killed the prophets. These were those who spoke God's truth. They were sent by God. They had killed them. They had poured out their blood. And now here they are, and they are in anguish, and they are in panic, searching for something to drink, and all they find is blood. Here's what the angel says as he surveys that event. He says, and they deserve it. And they deserve it. Goes on, verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Listen to those names. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Maybe you've noticed over and over again in the Revelation, we see God's upholding of justice and God's judging of sin reveals to us his character. Now listen, we want to know the character of God. It's an awesome thing to know the character of God. He is gracious and he is kind. Uh, he is just. Uh, he is holy. All these attributes of his character. Well, it's an interesting thing. As we've passed through the revelation, as we see his carrying out and upholding of justice, it is the character of God that we see. It is the character of God that is being made known. Well, as this scene unfolds, it is clear here, he is mighty, he is the Almighty, he is able to judge. He is true, he is the standard of judgment. He is righteous, he is correct as he judges. And so praise the Lord for that picture of our God. All right, back to the bowl, starting back in verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Now think about that. The sun, we love the sun. The sun warms up the day. 
Now, the sun marks a new start. We love it when the sun starts to come up in the morning. Now, the sun shines on all the flowers and all the trees. Well, now in the judgment of God, the sun burns men. Verse 9. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. In verse 9, the men were scorched, it says. Uh, it means burned with intense heat. That's the literal translation. Uh, it says fierce heat. Uh, the word fierce, it's an interesting thing. It is that word mega again. And so it is great heat. It is large, uh, overshadowing heat. It is fierce heat. Now, there's an interesting result here reported to us in verse 9. The result is this. Uh, they are burned by the sun. There is great fierce heat that is scorching them. And it says this, and they blasphemed God. Now, the word here for blaspheme, it means to curse, to slander, or, or see this. I want you to see this. It means to refuse to call good or to honor. It means to refuse to call good or to honor. Uh, we're going to see this response three times in uh, this 16th chapter. Uh, understand what is happening here. Seeing God's wrath, experiencing God's wrath, knowing it is from God, they do not stop their rebellion. They do not repent of their sin, but instead it says they curse God. As, as the judgment of God is poured out on them for their sin, uh, it's not them that, that's to blame. They don't say, oh, I've sinned. Oh, I've done all this. Uh, their sin is not the problem. God is the problem. God is the enemy, and God is to blame. And so it is God they hate. And so even as they stand under the judgment of God, they do not repent, but instead they blaspheme God. I want you to think about that for just a second. Go back to our starting question today. What is our attitude towards sin? I want you to think about this. Honestly, isn't our sin today a refusal to honor God? Isn't that what it is? You know what? I'm going to do what I want to do, and I've got an agenda, and I, I can explain it. I can, I, can, I can tell you all the reasons I, I'm justified in it, but doesn't it boil down to a refusal to honor God? He has told us what is best for us, but we're not going to obey him. And so we slander him in our actions and in our attitudes. Isn't that what sin is? I'm not going to honor God. I'm not going to obey God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of Pain. The throne of the beast is the kingdom of the world. Uh, with this bowl, uh, to make matters even worse, the world goes dark. Uh, there is no light. This bowl is poured out. The, the light of the world is removed. The world goes dark. And so I want you to picture the calamity that now is upon them. They have these sores. Uh, they have been scorched and burned. And now here they are, and they can't see. Uh, I, I remember one time when I was in college, we went to Carlsbad Caverns, and while we were there in the midst of our trip, uh, they turn off the light. 
And I remember when they turned off the light, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And it's kind of a scary thing. Uh, if these lights do not come back on, I'm not sure we're going to get back out of this place. Well, now the light is gone, and they stand, and they fumble around, and they fill around, and it's completely dark in front of them. Their direction is gone. They are lost in darkness. In verse 10, the magnitude of their suffering now begins to surface. Uh, at that pain and in that pain, they are uh, in this sort of pain-evoked savage stupor, and the pain is so great they begin to chew their own tongues. The pain is so intense they begin to, to gnaw, it says, to chew their own tongues. Verse 11. And they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Now, once again, can you imagine that? They rear up in defiance. The, the judgment of God is being made known to them, is being poured out on them, and they rear up in defiance, and they curse God. They're, God is the cause of their suffering, and they hate God, and they blaspheme God, and they will not repent and turn from their rebellion. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, verse 12 is an interesting verse. In its bowl, in the sixth bowl, it bears no immediate impact. And so we've had these bowls, and they've been dumped out in rapid succession, and each one has borne an immediate impact. Well, with the dumping out of the sixth bowl, there is no immediate impact, but rather it is setting up uh, it is facilitating, it is preparing the way for the coming battle. Uh, the Bible says, when it is poured out, the Euphrates River is dried up. And it does so to make a way from the nations of the east. I was reading, at one time the Euphrates River was the border between the Roman Empire and the territory of the promised land. And so understand what this is describing. Uh, the boundaries are now being removed. The barrier of the river is now being removed so that the armies from the east will have access to the territory of the promised land. Now, uh, I was thinking about this. When I thought about that, I couldn't help but think about the Old Testament account. Uh, remember in the Exodus account, uh, the sea was dried up to facilitate God's people's escape. But now here we are in the Revelation account, and in the Revelation account, the Euphrates will be dried up to facilitate God's enemies' doom. All right, verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Uh, there is a battle coming. We're going to see it. We're going we're to read about it in detail. Uh, there is a battle that is coming, but it's not going to be a battle between nations. Be sure and understand that. It's not going to be these nations against those nations, but it is going to be the nations of the world against God. That is the battle that is shaping up the nations of the world against God. 
And the way the world's armies are recruited for this war, this verse tells us, is through the lies of Satan, the dragon, through the deception of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And so understand, they are going to spread their lies, they are going to speak their deceptions, and in doing so, they're going to incite all of the nations to come to this battle. They're going to lie, they're going to slander, and they're going to use their mouths to whip up this anger, and those nations are then going to assemble for this fight. In verse 14, it tells us how. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs, listen to that, which go out to the kings of the whole world, to gather them together for the war for the great day of God the Almighty. Today, people come along and they'll say, I saw a sign. Or we were somewhere and there was a sign that was performed. Or there was, there was this miracle that was performed. And they'll say, well, it must be of God. And then they'll follow that up with, well, uh, God has told us this. And, and the reason we can believe that's because of the sign. The reason we can believe that's because of the miracle. Well, I want you to be warned. There's several places that tell us this. Be warned. Satan and his demons are going to use signs to mislead the nations. And so just because somebody can do a sign, or just because a sign has been evident, doesn't mean it's of God, doesn't mean you ought to set down the Word of God and follow what they're saying. There are going to be false signs and false wonders used to lead the nations astray. That's exactly what they do. They come and they do these marvelous things. And the nations of the world say, well, it must be of God. And they follow the lie. Verse 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. What in the world is verse 15 saying? Let me read that to you again. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. All right, I want to look at verse 15. Uh, notice when we see, get to verse 15, it seems out of place. Uh, it's not out of place, but it seems kind of crazy. It seems out of place. Uh, in my translation of the Bible, it is even written in uh, parentheses. Uh, I want to explain that to you. Understand the reason that it is, uh, it is interjected here, and what we have here is interjected the words of Jesus. And so here we are, we're moving along, we're hearing about the bowls being poured out, and we get to the 15th verse, and placed right here, interjected right here, these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the Lamb. And the reason they are inputted right here is they stand as a message, listen very carefully, back to the original hearers of the book of Revelation. Remember it was written to the seven churches? It had a message for those seven churches. Well, these are, this is a message for those uh, in the seven churches. These seven churches, uh, they are not included in these events. They are not here by the time of the happening of these events. Uh, but they would have been reading these words telling of these events. They're reading John's letter. They're not going to be here for these events. But as they are reading them, they are hearing of these events. And in the middle of that, there is this reminder of Jesus. 
as they're reading the account, as they're reading the, of these terrible judgments, there's this reminder put in from Jesus that says this, be sure and be ready. Be sure and be ready. Be sure and be in Christ. That's what it's talking about. Don't be found naked. Be found clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Be sure and wear his righteous robe. Here's what he says. Do not be found outside of Jesus in these days. Friends, I want to tell you something. I'm pretty sure that is the point to our message today. And I, I come across this 16th chapter, man, it's pretty complicated. And there's a lot of things we can pull out and we see the nature of God in these verses. But I want to tell you, I believe maybe the point to our message is found in this 15th verse today. I want you to listen very carefully. Listen to this. God hates sin. God is going to judge sin. His judgment of sin is real. It, it, it is going to be terrible. That's what it's saying here. His judgment of sin is terrible. And you do not want to be found outside of Jesus Christ on that day. That is the warning for them. That is the warning for us. Listen, God's judgment of sin is going to be terrible. It's going to be unimaginable. And friend, you do not want to be found outside of Jesus on that day. And so here you are. You can laugh at sin and you can excuse sin, and you can explain it away and give all the reasons that it's okay for you. You can go and you can seek out sin, and you can mock its consequences. I don't care about those things, but I want to tell you the, the message from Jesus is God's wrath towards sin is coming. And the message of the gospel of Jesus is this. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll restore you in his righteousness. He'll take away your shame and he'll remove because he bore himself the judgment of God for sin. Here's the call of Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. The day we're living in, I watch, we, we watch sin on TV and we listen to sin in our songs and we walk around and we're kind of dumb and we're kind of numb and we think, well, it's just a funny thing and how are we going to escape all these things and it's not that big of a deal, really, is it? Listen, outside of Jesus Christ, this is your fate in your sin. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Verse 16. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Har-Mageddon. They gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. I think it's funny. Greek readers would not have understood or not have recognized this location. So that's why it tells us of the interpretation of it. A person that read Greek, those that were receiving this letter, now, they wouldn't have understood this location. It translates the Mount of Megiddo, uh, or it translates the Hill of Megiddo. It probably is the hill country of Megiddo. Now, this is not a strange place to us uh, from the Old Testament. We know that it is the sad place of King Josiah's defeat. Remember, he revives the Word of God. He leads the nation back to worshiping God. Well, it is this hill country of Megiddo where King Josiah is defeated and where he is killed. Well, the Bible now tells us in the New Testament, it is on that place, driven by the lies of Satan, 
that these armies of the world will gather, they will assemble for this war. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. The seventh seal is now poured out in this verse. Uh, this seventh seal is now going to be described and reported to us uh, all the way through chapter 22, verse 5. And so starting at this verse, the seventh bowl is poured out. Uh, the happenings of that seventh bowl will now uh, consume the discussion until chapter 22, verse 5. What we understand here with this verse is these are now the final things of God's judgment. As the bowl is poured out, God loudly declares from the temple, it is done. Verse 18, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. Verse 19, the great city, speaking of Jerusalem, was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his, of his fierce wrath. Uh, Jerusalem itself is split into three parts. The city of the nations uh, fall. Babylon for its wickedness is judged as well. Verse 20. And every island fled away, melted into the sea. And the mountains crumbled and they were not found. Verse 21, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, because its plague was extremely severe. Verse 21, hell comes out of heaven, men are crushed. As we read of hailstones that weigh 100 pounds and they are crushed underneath its weight, the Bible ends the chapter by saying this, and they still curse God. Deceived by the lies. Deceived by the liars. Wicked of heart. They refuse to honor God. Even crushed by stones of hell, they will not repent. I read that and I think, man, those people must be wicked. Man, those people, what's wrong with those people? How do they not repent? How do they not turn and say, oh, God, I've sinned against you. Oh, God, show me your mercy. They will not honor God. Folks, I want you to listen. Isn't that what we do today? We won't honor God. I want it my way. I want to do what I want to do. And when I want to do it, I'm not going to honor God. Listen, sin is to turn away from God as simple as that. Sin is to refuse to to honor him, to bring dishonor to his name. It's to bring shame to his name. Here's the truth of today. Listen very carefully. God hates sin. We ought to hate sin. You know, we ought to recoil at sin. Of all people, we ought, we ought to see the, the wickedness and the evilness of sin, and we ought to say, well, I want no part of that. God help me to have no part of that. God hates sin. And he will judge sin. There's coming a day of judgment for sin and for sinners. But I want to tell you, all of this brings me back full circle to say this, what a Savior we have. When I hear about that, and I hear the heaviness of sin, the rottenness of sin. I hear of the judgment of God coming for sin and for sinners. I want to say my Savior, Jesus, 
He saw I wasn't going to make it. He saw I wasn't going to be able to do anything good enough. He saw I wasn't going to be able to muster up some righteousness of my own. And so he came himself. That's the songs we were singing this morning. He came himself. And he took on the, the skin of a man that he might save sinful men. He goes, he lives a life where he never sins, that he might offer himself in our place and in our stead. And that's what he does on the cross of Calvary. And there, because I'm a terrible liar and a terrible sinner, he goes to the cross and he dies my death. And the nails are driven in him that should have been my nails. And he pays my penalty and my punishment for my sorry, shameful sin. And there he dies my death. And three days later, they pull him off of that, they, they pull him off of that grave. He's dead. They put him in a, they put him in a tomb. And three days later, listen, friend, he walks out of that grave and he stands as the risen Lord Jesus, the remedy for all sinners. What's your response going to be to Jesus? Are you going to refuse to honor him still? Are you going to refuse to say, Jesus, you're my only hope? Or are you going to turn to Jesus? Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my only hope. Jesus, you're my Savior. Friend, if you'll turn to him today, he'll forgive you today. He'll save you today. He'll give you his own righteousness to wear. Don't be found naked on that day is what he says. He'll give you his righteousness to wear. If you never turn to Jesus, do it today. If you never turn to Christ, settle it today. He'll save you today. And if you have, listen, walk out of here, hate sin, and praise Jesus. Oh, for a church to walk out of here and say, oh, I hate sin. Oh, but I praise my Savior, Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dream Father, we come and I'm thankful for these many verses today. I'm thankful for the picture as terrible as it is that it paints because it's your truth. And I'm thankful that in that terrible picture, I see the hope of a lamb who was slain and yet liveth again, Jesus, my hope. I pray for, for us as a people today that we would love you, we would see you, we would heave up honor to your name. I pray for some that do not know you today that are sitting under here and they're under the guilt of their sin, the shame of their sin, they're they're trying to smile it off, but they're crushed under the weight of it. I pray that today they would turn to you and they'd receive you. Be forgiven, renewed, restored, redeemed, set right with the holy God today. Lord, I, I pray that that's the fruit of this hour. I pray in this time of invitation, Lord, that you have spoken, that you would continue to speak, that you would move. I pray, Lord, the decisions we would make would bring honor to you and glorify you. Pray that any hindrance to it be removed. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service today with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you of all the things that we've done, all the, the activities we undertake as the church, I believe this is the true, truly most important time that we have today, and that is this, to respond to the truth of what God has said. Will you refuse to honor God, or will you say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior? There's a decision to be made today. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to you, if he is speaking to you, if you need more information, you say, you know what, I, I want to know about this Savior. You come, let's settle it today. If you say, you know what, I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You come, let's settle it today. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision. You've trusted Christ, but you've never followed in believers' baptism. And you want to come and say, I want that testimony to stand. I want people to see what I believe of Jesus. And I want that testimony to speak. You come as well. And we'll set a date, and it'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here, and you're looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well, and together we'll stand on his word, preach his good news to a lost and dying world till he comes again. Maybe today you want to come and pray at an altar today. 
Maybe today you want to come and pray with me today. The Bible says nothing's too big, but I want to tell you nothing's too small. We can't come to the throne of God's grace. Maybe that's your response today. We're going to stand to sing. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.